welcome to Easy, Easy Bake, Bake Takes, the podcast, where we read you the one-star reviews of your favorite movies in war. But this week is a three-step Rex episode, and we're doing The Last of Us. And, almost forgot, my name's Kat. And I'm Riley. <laughs> but, like I said, we're doing The Last of Us, the TV show. Neither of us have played the game. I'll just preface with that. Mm-hmm. The plot summary, this is a very, very brief plot summary, it's very vague, is Joel and Ellie, a pair connected through the harshness of the world they live in, are forced to endure br- brutal circumstances and ruthless killers on a trek across a post-outbreak America. Yeah, that was very vague. T- is it untrue? No. No, it's not It's not untrue. It is very true. But the, the first episode premiered on January 15th of 2023, and the finale premiered, what was it, uh, March 12th? Was Sunday. Yeah, I think so. So we're recording a few days after the finale premiered. And just for anybody who hasn't watched it yet or is planning to watch it, we will be discussing all the episodes after episode three in the back half of the episode. And we'll try to keep the first half of this a little more spoiler free for everybody. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want to hear that, we'll announce it when we get there. Mm -hmm. But the tagline of The Last of Us, there's two of them. The first one is, when you're lost in darkness, look for the light. And the second one is, save who you can save, which is in bill's letter to joel in the third episode Mm, yeah dang the show was created by craig mazin who also created chernobyl but he was a writer for the hangover part two and three and also a writer for scary movie and wrote the screenplay for identity thief it seems he most wrote for comedy before doing chernobyl yeah and not good ones either sorry that was mean but um it is true though identity thief is funny but it was mostly improv okay yeah there's moments in there i like those actors so And then Neil Druckmann also created the show and he wrote and co-directed the games. Oh, cool. And also worked on the Uncharted games, which were a success and came out before The Last of Us. And the show itself obviously is based on the game The Last of Us by Naughty Dog. Mm. The score was composed by Gustavo Santolala, who composed for the game, and David Fleming. Barry and Sarah Gower led the prosthetics team in making the clickers or creating what they looked like. And they had previously worked on Game of Thrones, Stranger Things, Chernobyl, The Witcher, House of the Dragon, and more. And the clickers were played by actors who were fans of the game that understood their movements. I love that. I love that mm-hmm. so much. Also, the what they worked on, the prosthetics team, that is some really cool, like the fungus growing out, like props to them. Mushrooms are such like a perfect thing to work with too because mm. they come in so many shapes and sizes and they- You get really creative with it. So most of it was filmed in Alberta, Canada, mm. with the exception of the jackson commune episode i believe and i think the first episode jackson commune that's where tommy is yeah the cast of the show in the first three episodes pedro pascal plays joel you're just cargo miller (laughs) bella ramsey plays ellie and if anyone doesn't know bella ramsey uses any pronouns but i've noticed that pascal uses they them for bella oh okay i'm not gonna assume anything but i love that you noticed it from him saying it i love that and i love bella ramsey I do too. But Nico Parker plays Sarah. Anna Torv plays Tess. And I was trying to, I was racking my brain on where I recognized Tess from. Mm -hmm. She's literally from Mindhunter. She's the psychologist that works with them. Really? She's Dr. Wendy Carr. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't recognize her. That's so funny. I love that show. Gabriel Luna plays Tommy and he played Kevin, the guy on the cruise that Bernie's talking to in Bernie. (laughs) Whenever she's serious? like getting ready. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my God. I it remember that. That is so funny. I love that. It was so random. I mean, he's from Austin, so it makes sense. Oh yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. And then Merle Dandridge plays Marlene and she played Marlene in the games. Oh, cool. So it was cool that she got to reprise her role. Yeah. 
Nick Offerman plays Bill, and Murray Bartlett plays Frank, and he's Armand in White Lotus season one. I still need to see season see season one. He is amazing in White Lotus season one. Well, he was amazing in that episode, so. Oh, yeah. He's just a very talented actor. Definitely. But just a little bit on the reception of the show, it's critically acclaimed and praised for all aspects and has been called by several the best adaptation of a video game. 97% from critics and 91% from audience and 9.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Should be higher. Should be 100% because there's nothing <laughs> wrong with this show. There there are some, some haters out there, but we'll get to them. <sighs> I'm so glad I've never heard from them. Yeah, I'm on the side that loves everybody and everything about the show. Like, I'm on the side where no one would dare <laughs> to come <laughs> over there and say something, because, yeah. Yeah, they would, yeah. And then across linear channels and HBO Max, the series premiere was watched by 4.7 million viewers on the first day. It's the second biggest for HBO since 2010 and over 22 million within 12 days. In January of 2023, the series was renewed for a second season. Good. So, like, mi- probably, like, minutes into the... Yeah, <laughs> the they, were like, they were like, oh, my God. <laughs> we need more of this. <laughs> and then I have general trivia from, like, Wikipedia pages, but I also got trivia from... I watched a lot of cast interviews. Mm. This first one's kind of sad, and I just wanted to put this in here. Annie Wershing, who voiced Tess in the Naughty Dog video game, sadly passed away from an unspecified form of cancer on the eve of the airing of season one, episode three, at just 45 years old. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. More lighthearted fact, Troy Baker, who was video game Joel, hosts the official HBO The Last of Us after show podcast. Oh, I love that. We were talking about this a little bit beforehand about just theories and things, but eagle-eyed viewers spotted that in the first episode, the Miller family unconsciously or somewhat consciously in Joel's case as he's on the high-protein, low-carb Atkins diet, avoided food with flour in it on the day of the outbreak, and in later years adopted the theory of fungus spreading via infested flour. This theory was furthered by the beginning of the second episode as one of the first people to fall victim to the fungus worked at a flour and grain factory. The third episode all but confirmed the theory as Joel says the best guess about how the outbreak started is that the fungus got into some key food ingredient that hit the shelves at around the same time all over the world. Yeah, because they avoid eating pancake. Mm-hmm. They avoid eating the biscuits from the neighbors. Mm-hmm. He never got the cake. It's all right there. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I have is that though both were previously featured on HBO's Game of Thrones, Pascal and Ramsey had not met before filming on The Last of Us began, but found they had instant chemistry, which developed over the course of production. HBO Max stated that Brazil alone was responsible for over 50% of all online engagement and posts on social media related to the series. It helps that the Brazilian dubs for the game have been highly acclaimed, and the Brazilian voice actors returned for this series to, like, dub over the show as well. So, like, they had the same voice actors. Oh, cool. Okay. Neil Druckmann and Craig Mason both mentioned this, but casting didn't happen until they found their Joel and Ellie. Hmm. I think Druckmann described Pedro as having an innate old-fashioned masculinity, but also a beautiful vulnerability. They needed to have someone who could show and feel Joel's pain. Mm -hmm. Pedro is brilliant at showing the softening of Joel with Ellie while maintaining the anger. Ellie needed to be small, wise, funny, and violent, slash with a sense of danger to her. They heard Bella read one scene and felt that they were perfect for the show. After watching Ramsey's audition tape, they spoke to David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the showrunners of Game of Thrones, who assured them of their talent. Ramsey secured the role less than a month after their audition. I think the casting for these two characters was amazing. Oh, yeah. They are both so good. Um, I'm going to watch the Emmys for the first time, just so I can see them win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the cards really fell into place with this show in so many mm-hmm. different ways. I, I was talking about this with my sister, but we're 
truly are in like the golden age of television right now mm-hmm. hbo max has a chokehold on all of us with white lotus game of thrones house of the dragon succession they are really pumping out some of the best television that we've seen in a long time really good content really good content yeah i think we talked about this a little bit previously watching these episodes come out week by week it felt like fucking television it felt like television everybody in the world stops and watches it like when we would text and go like are you are you gonna watch it tomorrow and like what'd you think like it's that anticipation it's that you know it hasn't been a thing in the last few years of like this tv show's coming on this day and time everyone's watching it everyone's gonna go sit down and watch it i love it it's a good i'm glad they're bringing that back because it there's a i like it it's really good yeah it keeps people go ahead go ahead I don't know where I was going with that sentence. <laughs> I think I'm about to say the same thing about what you were yeah. going to say. I was like, there's like a camaraderie to it. Yes. It's just nice to be part of this whole sensation that is this show. Yes. Now all the episodes are out at the same time. So it's not like you can binge in one day. Be like, yeah, that was mm-hmm. good. And then you just drop the conversation. It's so much smarter because it keeps the conversation of the show that much longer. Yeah. HBO's always done that. It just makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll keep going on this so we can get to our the meat of our conversation. Mm-hmm. The series was edited by Timothy A. Good and Emily Mendez. Mark Hartzell edited the second episode. After Mason worked on Chernobyl, Good expressed interest in collaborating. The two have been friends for some time, um, which I always think it's important to include editors. Oh, yeah, definitely. And this was on Wikipedia. This marks the third time Pedro Pascal plays a morally gray single father on HBO. <laughs> after Game of Thrones anti-hero over in Tyrell and Wonder Woman 1984 anti-villain, Maxwell Lord. Unlike Oberyn and Maxwell, Joel outlives his offspring and instead cares for a surrogate child in the main story. And in Mandalorian, he is also... Yeah. This one, they just included his human children. Yes. Well, Grogu is much of a child as any (laughs) child. (laughs) Yeah. That's baby. That's baby. (laughs) (laughs) But also, 16 visual effects teams worked on the series, supervised by Alex Wang. And then... Four actors from the games will star in the series adaptation. Merle Dandridge reprises her role from the video game as Marlene and was the first to be announced. Ashley Johnson, who played Ellie Williams in both games, will play the new character Anna. And then Troy Baker, who played Joel Miller in both games, will play James, a secondary character that was in the original game that is a member of the survivor group run by David. And then Jeffrey Pierce, who played Joel's brother Tommy in the games, plays a new character Perry in the show. And that was um, the lady in Kansas City. He was like her second in command. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then apparently there was a, a live stage version of the game. Oh, I think I remember seeing that. Yeah. And so Merle Dandridge played Marlene in that as well. So this technically marks her fourth time playing Marlene. <laughs> Dang. She doesn't mm-hmm. have to look at the script. <laughs> she knows. She's like, I know who she is. Okay. I know. I know what she would say. <laughs> For episode five, Henry and Sam serve as a mirror to Joel and Ellie. The cast and crew learned ASL to communicate with Kevon Woodward, who plays Sam. And CJ Jones served as director of ASL and dialect coach for the episode. You may recognize him from Baby Driver. Oh, yeah. Lamar Johnson and Bella Ramsey picked up ASL pretty quickly. The inside... Oh, this is just a personal thing. The inside the episode made me fucking cry when they were all talking about learning ASL. Oh, I just thought it was really beautiful. Oh, I love that you included that in the general. Yeah. It is a <laughs> That's fact. Just part 
part of the trivia. That is a fact. Yeah. It is a fact. It is so sweet and I love it so much. The behind the scenes, I love watching the behind the scenes of every episode. Another smart move by HBO, honestly. They do it with all their shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, But the the last, I actually couldn't see, I didn't see this, but they banned the word zombie on set. They always, they do that with a lot of things, I realize. Like things that are like quote unquote zombie shows or movies, like, but you can't say the word zombie. I wonder why. Because they they don't want anyone to call them that. It's like a different image of something than like. They don't want it to narrow it down to that. You know, because it's, yeah. and they are different. They're not. Technically, that's what a clicker is. It is. Like, it definitely is. A, mm-hmm. Like, they are quote unquote zombies, but like, I understand mm-hmm. what, thinking about it, yeah, it makes sense that they don't want yeah. to, because then people are just going to call them zombies when they're called other stuff. Yeah. But to move on to the cast facts, we'll start with Pedro Pascal. Pascal hadn't heard of the game, but while he was on the phone with his sister and nephews, his nephews shared excitement and encouragement for him to take the role, and Pedro Pascal accepted the role within 24 hours. But he also mentioned in an interview that he had taken sleeping pills right before they gave him the news that he got the role so when he woke up he forgot that he got it he was just saying they're like oh did i get it i don't know and they're like what do you need to hear about it i told you i love that story he's telling his sister and his nephews over here they're like the last of us you gotta get it you gotta get the role yeah i don't know if you've ever looked on his instagram but he spends a lot of time with his nephews and his sister it's just really cute he seems like a great uncle oh yeah pascal and ramsey they call their characters belly and petroel they call themselves that because they felt that they like kind of get lost in their characters in like a good way Mm -hmm. they're just associated with them so immediately so belly and petroel i love that that is so cute interviews with the two of them are adorable like they have a genuine chemistry with them they really do Pascal based Joel's voice on his own experiences from growing up in San Antonio and has claimed mm-hmm. himself as a Texan, so uh-huh. to everybody He's else. Ours. <laughs> Get your hands off of him. <laughs> <laughs> and he had paired it back from the Southern accent used in the game, so it's a little more toned down of a Southern accent than original Joel. I get that. I think it works. Because Texan's not really that strong of an accent. It's not heavy. It's not like Deep South, you know? Mm-mm. And then moving on to Ramsey. Ramsey called Ellie and Joel mirrors of each other. Their relationship with Pedro developed over the process of filming because of COVID they weren't able to get to know each other much before starting and I think their first interaction Bella was in hair and makeup and they just kind of had like a brief hello before they started filming. Oh interesting. Ramsey said the show feels quote like the best thing they have ever done end quote and was immediately comforted Pascal would perform alongside them for the entire experience. Sorry I um. Ramsey said the show feels like the best thing they've ever done. That's so nice. I love that. And then Ramsey is aware of the quote unquote queer army that defends their portrayal slash performance on the show against incels on Twitter and they love it. I love that. That's so sweet. <laughs> I feel like that's the only thing I'm saying is just like, I love that. I just love that fact. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. But like, why are you watching the show if you're homophobic? Like, well, it's or- not, it's not that. It's the people that are like, oh, well, this Ellie doesn't look hot like the video game child Ellie did. Oh, that's gross. It's those people. That's nasty. Yes. That's what you sound like. Yeah. That's what people were saying initially, basically. They were like, this Ellie's not like not in those words but that's literally what they were saying Ew. like first of all this character's supposed to be your daughter in the game <laughs> second of all 14 year old yeah literally look at ashley johnson they look like they could be in the same family exactly also i didn't know bella ramsey was like 20 i thought they were like a literal child so i was like shocked by that mm-hmm. but uh ramsey wanted their performance to be reminiscent of the games without copying them ramsey who is english learned an american act oh my god 
<clears throat> learned an American accent for the role and had to cut off over 15 inches of hair. They wore a chest binder for 90% of production for better focus on set. And then Ramsey said they would play Ellie forever if they could. Oh, I love that. Well, okay. Well, that's good news because for season two, I want Ramsey to come back. Mm-hmm. So the next person I have is Neil Druckmann, who, as I said, made the video game. And Druckmann was convinced Mazin was the ideal creative partner for the series after witnessing his passion for the game's story. Druckmann referred to Mazin as the story's co-parent. Mazin said the series may represent a paradigm shift for film and television adaptations of video games due to the strength of the narrative, noting, quote, it would only take HBO executives 20 minutes on Google to realize The Last of Us is the Lawrence of Arabia of video game narratives, end quote. Wow. Druckmann felt the most important element of adapting the game was to, quote, keep the soul, end quote, particularly with character relationships, whereas the gameplay and action sequence were of minimal importance. Mazin said the changes were, quote, designed to fill things out and expand, not to undo, but rather to enhance, end quote. I love that. Which is the perfect mindset to go into something of like an adaptation with. Exactly. Especially when it's not just about the action. It's about the characters themselves. Mm -hmm. Druckmann felt that Pedro and Bella are amazing actors that embody what makes the characters special. They show the humanity of the characters. The only thing they weren't sure of until filming started was if the chemistry would be there, but he felt they definitely nailed it. Yes, absolutely. So a a film adaptation of Naughty Dog's 2013 video game the last of us was announced in march of 2014 to be written by the game's writer and creative director neil Druckmann. it had entered development hell by 2016 and the partnership ended and rights relinquished by 2019 so the rights to this game were held from 2014 to 2019 okay and that's probably when they picked it up yes exactly exactly yeah okay i thought some drama happened with them yeah it works so much better episodically things are broken up that way in video games too there's so much that happens. Exactly. Like, there's so much that happens yeah. in it. You couldn't put, fit that on. You couldn't fit that all in the movie and it feel good. <laughs> like, no, not at all. It would feel rushed and... Yeah, it's it's it would not work. I just cannot see it work. Seeing how well the show is, I could not see it working well as a movie. No, they'd have to cut shit out and they'd piss people off. Like, yeah, no kidding. Like, but moving on to Craig Mason. So Craig Mason was a fan of the video game and knew what things needed to be mostly the same as the game. And the first, the show pretty much covers the first game and includes some things that are DLC, such as Riley's story. What's DLC stand for? Downloadable content. So. If you buy a video game, they'll put out DLC, which is like extra things you can do. So like Riley's storyline in the video game was something you had to like buy and download as like an extra part of the game, like bonus content, pretty much. And then we got to, okay, that's really cool. I'm really glad they included, because like that's so important to Ellie's backstory. Mm -hmm. Hold that thought on that episode because we'll talk about it. Okay. So Mason himself as a gamer and was amazed by the game and said that it's rare that he plays a game and wonders who made it. And The Last of Us was one of those games where he finished it and played it and was like, who the fuck made this thing? And I'm glad that he was the one that wanted to make this show Mm -hmm. because I think it took like a fan and the creator of the game to really do the perfect things that they needed to do with it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like if you're not a fan of what you're making, like if you're making an adaptation of something, then yeah, why are you making it? That's the whole thing. Yeah. Well, especially for the writers of the show, like definitely like you need to like have a passion for this. I know Pedro didn't play the game beforehand, but he's still like, I think he did such a good job with Joel. Yeah. And that that comes down to writing and direction too. Mm -hmm. Natural ability leading him to the 
the right places with the character even without having the source material yeah definitely i just didn't want to contradict myself because i know oh yeah yeah i think it's better if the actors aren't immersed into the uh whatever the ad- adaptation is of because then they'll get in their head about their portrayal they get to make it their own in a way exactly exactly and the sweetest thing i've ever heard from troy baker the original joel he was talking about his first time meeting pedro pascal and he was telling pedro he was like i have so many questions for you and pedro was like i have no questions for you <laughs> and they were like we're gonna get along great and then he was <laughs> he was talking about how all he ever wanted with this like an adaptation of it was for whoever's playing joel to show him something that he missed in the character mm. when he was watching the show he got that every every episode with pedro's performance like oh i didn't think to do that or that's such an interesting thing to do with a character that's amazing i love that mm-hmm. but Mason said that they had a quote-unquote wish list for actors that they wanted to be in the show such as anna mm-hmm. torv murray bartlett melanie linsky and nick offerman etc they were surprised when they got yes after yes with these actors Mason felt this material could stand on its own so well and that when the actors saw who else had accepted they probably felt more confidence in the project yeah no kidding definitely and then Mason felt that the fans of the game crave things from the game they'll get the things they're craving from the game but they added so much more and made it a different experience without the interactive control of the game it can be scarier Mm -hmm. and then for non-game fans he felt they won't be able to tell that they're watching something based on a game just like any good adaptation of, of other kinds of source material whether or not you know how it ends the show is about the journey I don't know about the without the interactive control of the game it can be scarier it's probably because I don't play video games well because you have you have control you have the control in your hand to I don't play video games that often though and I played scary yeah. video games and had to turn them off because I can't I can't handle the pressure <laughs> I can't <laughs> I can't handle the big giant monster coming into the room I can't play a video game and make my character walk forward down a, a dark hallway <laughs> I can watch someone on a TV I'm not saying I'm not <laughs> nervous for them but in a video game I cannot make I'm just gonna stand there because guess what that's what I would do in real life yeah I would just stand there yeah. and not go down the dark hallway because I know something's <laughs> down there and I'm not doing it yeah you can't make me. Uh, That's why I don't play video games. <laughs> I agree with what he's saying. Personally, I don't. <laughs> I'm too scared. Having that interactive control, you're more a part of it, and it's more of like a, I gotta beat this thing. I gotta kill this monster. That's scarier. There's a di- there's a space between me and the characters and the TV show. I'm like, it, whatever happens happens. I to think them. you might get a video game that happens to me. <laughs> I think you might be alone on this one. <laughs> well, that's fine. I know there's someone out there who agrees with me. Someone knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But I do like that he mentions that if they were adapting any other kind of source material, whether it was like a book or a play or something, I just think it's a good comparison to put it in perspective. Like if I hadn't read a book that a movie was based on, it shouldn't take away from the enjoyment that I have of that. Like there should be enough to teach me as the non-fan enough, but not bore the shit out of the fans of the thing. Or in the other way, make you feel like you're missing something. Exactly. That's a big one for me. I'm never playing the game. I don't feel like I missed anything. It's such a cohesive story. It's the perfect middle ground for fans and non-fans. Mm-hmm. But the last fact I had for Craig Mazin was Mazin has seen the third episode 200 times and cries every time and attributes it to the actor's performances and the relationship of their characters. Well, definitely. Why is he torturing yeah. himself watching that episode 200? It's so, it is so good. It is a good episode. I'm not saying it isn't, but like, that's a lot. Why, why is he torturing himself with that? Because like, my goodness. He's an artist. He's he an hates artist. himself. He's a tortured artist. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
he's torturing himself but yeah exactly yeah <laughs> my goodness i i agree it's a fantastic mm -hmm. episode with fantastic acting yeah. and uh, one of the <laughs> most beautiful love stories i could um, i can yeah. think of in a tv show like it's amazing it's the most perfect hour of television i've ever seen not to be dramatic yeah I'll save that for when we get to that episode. Yeah. So the next section is about Nico Parker, who plays Sarah. Nico Parker watched videos of the game years before getting the role. She wanted to, quote, stay away from the game version, end quote, and provide her own interpretation of the character. She felt intimidated at the prospect of portraying Sarah's death due to its impact in the game. Pascal felt an instant bond with Parker, with whom he filmed scenes first. As soon as filming started, her and Pedro became fast friends, and they talk every day, and she feels Pedro is amazing to work with. On his um, Instagram account, he had a, he has a picture with him uh nico and the guy who plays tommy i forgot his name gabriel luna yeah all three of them were together and they went like canoeing or something around the lake kayaking yeah kayaking something like that they're at the lake i titled mm -hmm. the caption the millers and i was like oh my yes. god that is so sweet gabriel luna posted it on twitter too i think oh i love that so much because it's so sweet and that just that just shows you like how much chemistry the whole cast had yeah and then uh, I tried to find more interviews with Anna Torv, but I couldn't find a whole lot. So I only had one mm -hmm. fact for Anna Torv, who plays Tess. Anna Torv had imagined that her character's death scene was going to be slow and dramatic, but it was different than she thought it was going to be. So when they were filming it, she thought that it was going to be very slow, but it was like, boom. It's a makeout scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. He's looking at me. <laughs> you like me? It is, it's like weirdly, because there's no other death scene in that show like that. Mm -hmm. Like, they're usually like, they jump on you and they eat you and stuff like that. But like, mm -hmm. not her. Mm -mm. <laughs> they had a kiss. She got the slow sensual death. Why is he doing that? <laughs> Should we leave? <laughs> But uh, moving on to Gabriel Luna, Gabriel Luna describes Tommy as similar to Joel, but like a less hardened version of Joel. Mm -hmm. He knew of the game and had played it somewhat before filming and um, said that it, it was effortless to craft the relationship between Tommy and Joel with Pedro. They started by having FaceTimes before filming and getting to know each other. And oh. they like talked about their families and stuff. And they just like talked to each other a lot. And I, it seems that's like they, so nice. they formed like a brotherly bond. Yeah, that's really nice. And then Luna is from Austin and Pedro grew up oh, yeah. partly in san antonio and felt it was invaluable to have similar roots in texas pedro along with using his san antonio roots had combined his speaking pattern with luna's for joel so they would sound the similar yes lastly luna had played the last of us part one and two before filming and he had spoiled the show for himself wait, wait. <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> that's something i would do <laughs> oh shit i should have done that <laughs> dang it <laughs> Next, I have Merle Dandridge, who played Marlene. Merle has a deep connection to her character and was excited to play her role again. And she got to age into this character as well, because when she played her in the video game, she was younger than the age that Marlene was supposed to be. She loved getting to wrestle with the things that Marlene had to deal with, like the hope for the greater good as a motivator. And she said that she was trying, she wanted to release herself from what she had already known about the character. And she got to be in new scenarios for this character that weren't in the game. Hmm. And like I said, this was technically her fourth time playing Marlene. Four times. That's really, that's really interesting. But I'm glad yeah. like it, it got to be a little bit different for the 
TV show, which must be exciting. Exactly. And like already having a foundation of playing that character and then you get to shake it up a little bit for the TV show, that must be nice. Mm-hmm. And then next, Murray Bartlett, who plays Frank in episode three, was surprised by the unexpected love story in such a bleak world. And they got to do such contrasting scenes with it going from an action scene to a very intimate, vulnerable scenes. It's, yeah, because that's true. Because I'm thinking about like when the Raiders come and Bill gets shot mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my God, does he die here? And the next scene, I believe it's the strawberry scene after that. Yes. I think that's exactly what, that's where my mind goes. And like it is. It's very interesting. And it's very sweet. Yeah. Spoiler alert for right here (laughs) skip to 28 minutes 13 seconds i like the parallels between frank being like bill you're not you don't get to die and ellie being like joel you don't get to die and them both having to like nurse them back that's right yeah they have very all every set of characters like with bill and frank sam and henry like they're all mirroring joel and ellie Mm -hmm. this is one of the shows where it's really fun to go back and watch and be like oh my god yeah see the little foreshadowing things that they had in there yeah and the mirrors there's a lot of mirrors yeah there's tons of mirrors (laughs) (laughs) they're always looking in a mirror i don't know what it is But the last person I have a fact on is Nick Offerman, who said that he feels that Bill is a sad character when he envisions him in the world before Frank. It's very true because like he's a doomsday prepper, antisocial guy. I mean, in his letter goes, I was really happy when the world ended and everyone died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, oh, yeah, he's miserable before Frank. And then he found someone who he loves and cares about and loves and someone who loves and cares about him. Made him scared because he had somebody to worry about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. That letter is so poetic. It is. Then the last thing I had before we talk about the episodes specifically is I have some differences between the show and the game. This information is from my fiance (laughs) and then an article by Forrest Cardamenis and then also the HBO inside the episode for The Last of Us. All the experts. (laughs) (laughs) Every expert I know. (laughs) So the first one I have is that we see more of certain characters such as Sarah and Tess and their relationship with and backgrounds with Joel. We see Ellie's background with Marlene and the QZ becomes more of a lived in space in the show than it was in the game. Mm. And then for the show, the writers removed spores as the vector through which the infection is spread in the games, replacing it with tendrils that form a unified interconnected network inspired by the idea of mycelium. The writers felt that gas masks did not translate well into television and spores were not a realistic threat and found replacing it with an interconnected network increased tension. Also, this is just my adding on. You mm-hmm. can't cover up Pedro Pascal's face. I was literally going to add that. I was literally going to add like, you can't, you can't do that. You can't hide that man and cover up the face they did a mandalorian which is doing well but we all prefer (laughs) gas mask or helmets off (laughs) yes and that's what i mean by again because he needs a show where we see him Mm -hmm. he needs a show where we can see that beautiful face of his definitely And then Druckmann was open to changing any aspects of the game, but always wanted a strong reason, ensuring he and Mazin considered the impacts on events later in the narrative. The game's outbreak takes place in 2013, while its post-apocalyptic narrative occurs in 2033. This was changed to 2003 and 2023, as the writers felt the story taking place simultaneously with the show's release was more interesting and real, and did not fundamentally change the story. Okay, that makes sense. So 2013 to 20, so 20 years difference. Yeah. But it's really smart and it makes you like when you're watching it the first time, you're like, 
it's 2023 <laughs> that's today that's today and like seriously though that beginning sequence where it's the 60s and they're on a talk show and that guy's talking about like the potential for spores he goes what if the earth were to become slightly warmer you're like Fuck. yes you're like oh no oh no that it does has. happen that does happen. <laughs> what are we gonna do <laughs> who's fixing this who's fixing no one no one apparently but <laughs> it, i started having like real life anxiety because of the show like that first episode real life anxiety and then you forget <laughs> get it because you're so invested with the characters but that first episode like i was like on a verge of a panic attack i was like this shit could happen because at first i was like yeah yeah cordyceps that thing that really only affects bugs and then he was like but what if the earth heated up <laughs> yeah it gave him a reason to elevate <laughs> to, <laughs> to evolve <laughs> yeah oh my god but if you'll notice the the game's outbreak takes place in 2013 that's when the game was released initially mm -hmm. and then the next one is that the building in the second episode was originally a fedra building that was being swarmed with soldiers instead of a firefly building that was being swarmed with infected you know like the building where uh tests really yeah wow i like that we don't really see a whole lot of fedra in the show because i feel like that's just a part of this world i don't need to know as much about they do it just enough like i get mm -hmm. it world's messed up when there is civilization it's authoritative and mm -hmm. awful and corrupted and i get that and they make it clear but they don't overkill and i like that yeah Another thing that's different in the show is that the show offers more insight into the origin of the pandemic and its origins in Indonesia. I like that. I like how they gave it origin to what happened. Mm -hmm. But the next thing that was different was Bill and Frank's whole relationship. You hear about Frank in the game. You never see Frank. And by the time you get to Bill, it's assumed that he's already dead. Bill still dies, but in a different way. And don't they hate each other in the game? Yeah, they got into like a huge fight and they don't talk to each other anymore. Dang. And then the other thing, this isn't from the first three episodes. I think this fourth episode, but the resistance in Kansas City was originally Pittsburgh. And there in the game, there are suggestions to what happened to the city. But the show elaborates on the backstory of the Kansas City group of people and they wanted to make them more than just an obstacle like they are in the game yeah is it referring to like the whole is it sam and henry that yeah, it's applying to or no not sam and henry they're I, they're in the game still mm -hmm. but but like the the QZ. group of people like yeah. the people that took down the qz okay yeah so i'll read the little plot summary of the first episode so the first episode is called when you're lost in darkness and it was directed by craig mazin and written by craig mazin and neil Druckmann. the summary of this episode is in 2003 a mass fungal infection of mutated cordyceps sparks a global pandemic joel flees with his daughter sarah and brother tommy from their texas home sarah is killed by a soldier 20 years later joel lives in a quarantine zone aka qz in boston managed by the federal disaster response agency aka fedra working as a smuggler with his partner tess when tommy fails to contact them from wyoming they pay a local dealer Rob Robert for a car battery, but he scams them and sells it to the Fireflies, a rebel group opposing Fedra. Attempting to retrieve it, Joel and Tess encounter Marlene, the Fireflies leader, who begs them to take a teenager named Ellie to the Massachusetts State House in exchange for a working truck. While sneaking out of the QZ, the three run into a soldier on the outside. He tests them for infection and reveals Ellie is positive. Joel kills the soldier and Ellie claims to be immune. That's a long episode. It is an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. It's like a movie link, mm -hmm. which, you know, I thought was really long for the first episode. In retrospect, it's actually, it's probably needed. Oh, yeah. And I wish 
the last episode was i know I, I you know not to give any spoilers i wish it was as long the thing is it's a really short part of the game i think it had to be a really short episode which was longer because i wasn't satisfied but anyway i know but in regards to the first episode so like i said they expanded on sarah mm-hmm. so what did you think of the portrayal of sarah in the show fantastic it's really interesting seeing their life before the outbreak mm-hmm. working single dad loves his daughter they're very close mm-hmm. they take care of each other she takes she really takes care of him honestly mm-hmm. that girl mm-hmm. she's making you know she's making breakfast she uh is getting his watch mm-hmm. fixed like i mean she, she's really taking care of herself he just kind of shows up and says sorry Sorry. (laughs) he's still a good dad he still cares you can still tell he cares yeah and i know that in the inside the episode they talk about how the goal is that they need to make you fall in love with sarah in that short amount of time and i think you do and you do exactly like you 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 fully do Mm -hmm. a thing they do so well throughout the show is having you get to know people in such short amounts of time and then take them away from you (laughs) and just rip them out of your hands (laughs) So I have some thoughts on Tess when we first meet her. What did hmm. you think of Tess? I uh, I like her. I don't dislike her. Mm-hmm. I like how she's a big spoon. He's a little spoon. Mm-hmm. I like how they're partners in crime. Mm-hmm. To be honest, and this is my perspective watching the whole show, kind of wish there was a little bit more of her, honestly. Yeah. Kind of wish we had a little bit more of Tess. I understand mm-hmm. why we don't. Like Sarah, I think she serves more as like a motivation for Joel than anything else Mm -hmm. i agree i feel like to see their connection a little bit more would have been nice but she's not as much like sarah where we really really needed to get to know her in a short period of time yeah craig mazen described her as the perfect apocalypse survivor you don't know a lot about her she's just trying to get through her day and Mm -hmm. she'll do anything that she needs to to get through life and you don't really need to know much about her other than that she is just a natural survivor that's a really good description she's a tough cookie Mm -hmm. i didn't like her at first Mm-hmm. Like, I think it was because she just came off as cold at first, but I think that's the point. Mm-hmm. But by the time she's getting towards the end of her her character, once she learns that Ellie is immune and sees the hope, you could see it come back in her. And I feel like I liked her a little bit more after that point. I didn't really like Joel in the beginning either. I was just like, oh, okay. Um, you're mean. <laughs> you're mean. You're mean. <laughs> I also like how her and Ellie, they do most of the talking while they're in that episode. Mm-hmm. Her and Joel don't really start bonding. They don't start bonding for a minute. Tess and Ellie are the ones bonding. So we get to see Tess a little bit in that. And which I like. Yeah. I just think of whenever Joel is like, if she so much as twitches. And then Ellie's like, oh, 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 oh. Tess is like, don't do that. Don't. He's not <laughs> kidding. He will shoot you. <laughs> he will shoot you. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> she's such a smart ass like mm-hmm. oh my god she's so funny she is i guess the the last thing i would have to ask you about this first episode is how did you feel about the parallels between sarah seeing joel kill someone and ellie seeing joel kill someone okay so very different kids they just are mm-hmm. yeah. sarah was raised not in the apocalypse grew up not in the apocalypse mm-hmm. was it was a girly girl yeah <laughs> exactly and also thinking in that context watching your dad kill your neighbor that you've known for years must be traumatizing (laughs) so like even though it was necessary traumatizing ellie watching this man who does not like her (laughs) kill a federal soldier who become her hero (laughs) in that moment become her hero two very different children Mm -hmm. that's how i view it i didn't even 
thing. I'd even actually put them together in my brain of like, oh, that. Put it in context of Joel's reaction, I guess. Because he like turns to make sure Ellie's okay after he does it the same way that he did with Sarah. But he sees two different reactions to this brutal murder of children of the same age. Yeah. He, so with Sarah, I mean, he is protecting her and he is with ellie as well in that situation he thinks he has to with ellie it's that natural parent reaction of like i need to protect yeah in with joe killing that federal soldier is you know flashbacks to that night with sarah mm -hmm. with how that guy was that military guy was pointing the gun mm -hmm. it was a flashback uh it was a response to where he failed it's where he failed and he get, mm -hmm. he kind of got to redeem that a little bit as messed up yeah. as that scene is he still he did get to redeem that and um it is interesting oh yeah it is very interesting looking but comparing those two different scenes together because i didn't really think about that until you just asked yeah i was more thinking of like joel's perspective without taking account sarah and ellie mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but no that's a really yeah interesting two interesting moments that do but there's so much paralleling in, oh, that's yeah. a word oh yeah in no, this no, that show is, that is a word constant comparisons to mm -hmm. everything it's mirrors 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 just they are mm -hmm. there are mirrors there are metaphorical mirrors everywhere yes. in the show in yeah. almost every episode like I, I couldn't even tell you an episode where there isn't mm -hmm. exactly do you have anything else you want to say about the first episode um i don't uh no not right now but how about marlene how about Marlene? Marlene. How did you feel about Marlene in the first episode? Um, not warm to Ellie. And I believe in the episode, the first episode, she tells her, like, I've known you since you were born. Since you were born. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that she would say that to someone who she never met, put immediately into the Fedra school, mm -hmm. never visited her, never talked to her, never let her know that she existed, never let her know that... I think... Uh... I understand why she didn't. Because she knew she knew what, not going to spoil anything, not going to spoil anything, well, but she probably outside knew. Of, outside of that, I think it would it would give Ellie some sort of, it would make her, since Marlene is a firefly, it would either make Ellie unsafe in Fedra. Mm, okay. Or if she told Ellie anything about how she is immune, it might change how she's interacted with at school it might it again could make her unsafe if she has any connection to marlene while she's at a fedra school i don't think that's a safe idea for her yeah and it, the fedra school would at least train ellie to defend herself in my opinion that's true it's probably the safest place she could be yeah now that you say it that way it totally makes sense because she couldn't because I, I was gonna say like oh Marlene could have taken her in, but, like, she wouldn't be safe. It makes sense. Yeah, maybe it was being a little harsh for Marlene's character. I think she's cold because she has to be. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, definitely. Yeah, for Ellie's safety at that point. At that point in time. Mm -hmm. I think that's all to cover with the first episode, so we can get into the second episode real quick. Uh, so, Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Tommy's character. Tommy's such a vague character in the show already. Like, I'm glad we got to see him later. Yeah. But in this first episode, what's up with this dude? Why is he not with Joel? You know, you, there's a lot of questions with this Tommy character that you're wondering about. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to mention real quick, like, Tommy's character is kind of a big mystery in this first episode. Yeah. Weird, but, like, it, they get there. They get there. They explain it. I, with TV shows, I have to remember to be patient about information. If they're good at their job, <laughs> they're going to explain it later. Or and they're just planting a seed now. Exactly. 
but I'm so impatient and untrustworthy of TV shows. I'm like, did they explain that? They're not gonna. <laughs> so I. They're leaving me hanging. <laughs> I don't like that. I like being told. Everybody who played the game is like, shh, just be patient. Just wait. Be quiet, please. <laughs> we'll get there. We will get there. <laughs> Okay, but uh, so is that is that all that you wanted to talk about for that one? Yes. Okay, so episode two is called Infected, and this one was directed by Neil Druckmann. Two days before the world outbreak in Jakarta, Indonesia, the government shows an infected corpse to a mycologist who tells them there is no cure or vaccine and advises bombing the city to prevent further outbreak. In the present, Ellie explains to Joel and Tess that she is being transported west in hopes of being used to find a cure. Discovering the path to the state house is swarmed with infected, they cut through a history museum where they are attacked by blind infected known as clickers and Ellie is bitten. They arrive at the state house but find the fireflies dead. Tess reveals she was bitten while Ellie's bite begins to heal, proving her immunity. Joel shoots an infected which alerts the swarm to their location. Tess convinces him to escape and take Ellie to their allies in Lincoln, Massachusetts while she stays behind, blowing up the building and killing herself along with the horde. Not without a quick makeout session, though. A slow and sensual <laughs> death. <laughs> That's what it is, though. Seriously, let's see. Yeah. So in terms of setting up for what this world is like, do you feel like this episode was a good way to teach the unacquainted viewer what the world is kind of like? at this point you do get a good feel for the world because yeah it's the apocalypse there's danger everywhere at least in the cities yeah i'd be so scared to be going to buildings though why do they like just go in the skyscraper and see what we can see i'm like and talk at full volume <laughs> and talk at full volume it's like y'all <laughs> not quiet silence <laughs> it has the possibility of, of feeling like they're just shoving information in your face mm -hmm. but I think it's done in such a way that it, it it goes with the narrative enough to where it doesn't feel like they're they're pausing the show and going, well, you see. I definitely think the first episode has way more overwhelming of information. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, I felt way more overwhelmed. In the second episode, I'm getting a feel of what's going on. Yeah. How it's looking. <laughs> yeah. To be completely fair, that's how it would feel if there was an instant outbreak of something. Oh, yeah, definitely. It would be overwhelming amounts of information. Mm -hmm. And they're all, the characters are kind of learning all this information as you are. And by the time we get to the second episode, everybody who's there is pretty well acquainted in what's going on. So you're settling into this knowledge of the world a little more. Yeah. And it's a little, for me, it was a little, that first episode was like, I don't really know what's going on. What does it mean to be infected? Yeah. What does it mean to be immune? What, is it, what does this all mean? But yeah. second episode, getting in, like, okay, let's just, yeah. We're settling into what this world is like a little more. Exactly. Exactly. I like that uh, they show what happens with, like, dried up fungus and that, like, mm, yeah. at, after a certain amount of time, it's it's it dies itself. Uh -huh. I, think, I think it was just a perfect way to do exposition that didn't feel heavy-handed me too i feel the same way do you feel tess's death needed to happen to push joel to f see out this mission with ellie yeah i do actually believe that because with because it wouldn't be joel and ellie you know mm -hmm. if tess was there yeah i say she's a third wheel but <laughs> she kind of that's how i felt watching it because i was like i know she dies uh, yeah. i know she dies so get i'm waiting for her to die <laughs> get her out of here <laughs> i love her but get her out of here i definitely do think she needed to die in order mm -hmm. for joel and ellie to get pushed into you know the rest of the season what what happens yeah. with them forces them to get to a place where they depend on each other a little more definitely so unfortunately like as sad as i am now that she died like i get why she died yeah 
I don't understand why she had a makeout session, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a stylistic choice. <laughs> I kind of like it, though. I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a little, little steamy. It was a little steamy. Oh, my God, she died. So sad. What's going to happen next? <laughs> Back to Tess, she's kind of like the sacrificial death between the th- this trio mm-hmm. that we had. And yeah, yeah, you're right. Like she, it felt that she needed to die for everything to continue. And it also fuels Ellie's guilt in being immune yeah. and living. Um, these aren't mm-hmm. my original thoughts. This is what I've seen on TikTok. But it reminds me yeah. of, to bring this up because Ellie does have this guilt of being immune like she's she's the reason these everything going forward from leaving the qz mm-hmm. on is happening is because of her mm-hmm. and fuels why she wants to get down to the hospital to find a cure because mm-hmm. wouldn't it be all for nothing test dying everything would be in vain is the mindset that she has going into everything exactly like you were saying she was forming more of a relationship with tess at first Mm -hmm. she needed to have formed that relationship with tess to add to the weight of the guilt and the drive to see this mission through definitely how did you feel about the action sequences in this episode? Really good. Really good chore- choreography. Mm-hmm. Okay. The fans of the show who were like playing the clickers, oh my God, they were working their ass off. Yeah. They are going hard and good for them. That is amazing. To have people who are fans of the game and understand the movement so well was so, so good. They're terrifying. It gave me Velociraptor and Jurassic Park vibes, you know? Yeah, yeah, like you're hiding around the corner Mm -hmm. and they're just walking past you. They're looking for you. They know you're in there. Mm -hmm. The pacing of the action sequence was really good Mm -hmm. as well. It didn't feel overlong. Mm -hmm. Okay, so anything else on episode two? No. Okay, all right. Prepare yourself. Oh my God. (laughs) For episode three. The saddest episode ever. Okay, so I'm gonna get through this summary and then we can hash this one out. (laughs) Trigger warning for talks of suicide. So episode three is called Long, Long Time and was directed by Peter Hoare. Joel and Ellie begin the hike to meet with Bill and Frank. Ellie sees evidence of the government's execution of innocents during the early days of the pandemic. Back in 2007, Frank leaves Baltimore and stumbles upon the compound of Bill, a paranoid survivalist who reluctantly takes him in. The men begin a romance, sharing a love of music and food. Years later, Frank contacts Tess by radio and the two groups enter a tenuous friendship. In the present, Frank is terminally ill and asks Bill to assist his suicide after they marry. Bill, not wanting to live without Frank, kills himself as well. When Joel and Ellie arrive, they discover a letter Bill left for Joel. Bill wrote that protecting Frank gave his life meaning and that he has left Joel his supplies. Unbeknownst to Joel, Ellie takes Frank's pistol. They take Bill's truck and set out to find Tommy. It's this season's up episode, basically. Oh yeah, but brutal. A little bit brutal. (laughs) Yeah. I think I said this earlier too, but it is without exaggeration, genuinely one of the best hours of television I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could watch just this episode and be fine. Like it, it truly stands alone. Mm-hmm. And it is some of the best emotional performance I've ever seen. Yep. And some of the best writing and storytelling that I have ever seen. Definitely. It's something very unexpected for a show like this, Mm -hmm. but this is the episode that really solidified me watching the show Mm -hmm. or continuing to watch it personally. And it's, and this episode's like mostly just Bill and Frank. I mean, I Mm -hmm. mean, we see Joel and Tess a little bit. Yeah. They, they visit. They come and visit, which is nice, (laughs) but. (laughs) We traded strawberries for a gun. Oh, little fun fact about that. So when Frank says, oh, just a small one, meaning he traded it to Joel, 
Joel. Joel is carrying around with with a pistol, and they're like, "That's probably mm-hmm. the gun Frank traded to Joel for strawberries for." So, little fun fact. Yeah, it's really an interesting episode for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. It starts out with Ellie seeing a bunch of people who were executed at the onset of the pandemic. Because there wasn't enough room at the QZ. That's the only reason. Yeah. And they funneled all of these people into these trucks just to take them and execute them. So dark. It's another moment where you're getting another tone of the world that we're in. Going back to the thing about them not including the Fedra as much. Mm -hmm. I think moments like this give you enough of a like emotional reason to why people are in opposition to the Fedra. Mm -hmm. And it really sets the scene for why people might be rebellious against the Fedra. Yeah. Yeah, go, basing off of that, because, like, it's a brutal, brutal world filled with evil, and the people who are in charge of it now are... The neo-Nazis. Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are brutal and evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't need too much to figure that out. Yeah. But then we see Bill, mm-hmm. just the epitome of, like, a paranoid doomsday prepper. Mm-hmm. He, his first stop is Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> He sets up his fortified base, creates a perfect place for himself to be literally and emotionally in a fortress. Literally by himself for th- like three years before Frank comes along. Yeah. And then Frank comes along and then they fall in love. He plays a little song. That is okay. He sings that so like I started like tearing up. Oh yeah. I was really worried that it was gonna be one of those things where like Frank was just tricking him and he's gonna do something awful. Mm-hmm. But no, it's this beautiful love story. And then I think a big part of it is a contribution to how gay couples, specifically gay men, are portrayed in media usually. Mm-hmm. But they they get this beautiful romantic love story that's a happy love story that has its ups and downs like any relationship would oh yeah and it shows them being also like a real couple yeah they're human yeah the first day they meet like obviously you know like they have dinner they kiss you know mm-hmm. it works and then it jumps three years later and mm-hmm. it's them in the middle of an argument like and i thought that was pretty cool because like <laughs> you don't let me flip this house <laughs> i will kill all of us and it's <laughs> I would too, though. I would be going crazy. I'm like, like, let me decorate. Let me decorate and let me have friends over right now. <laughs> like, after three years, you get sick of each other. Oh, yeah. You need to talk to other people. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. But it's, like, realistic. It's very realistic. But also shows, like, really happy moments. Also, the intimacy scenes, sexual intimacy scenes, that's not something we see a whole lot in the way that they show it. It's just very gentle, passionate. romantic, intimate, passionate showing. Same with the strawberry scene. I really... Yeah. Yeah. It's just solidified just how much they loved each other oh my god if you had to eat a strawberry in what 15 years that shit would be good i think i would cry too let's talk about real quick with this episode the relationship between joel and bill yes 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 hostile (laughs) a little bit hostile but respectful forced when you make your boyfriends hang out You guys be nice. We're going to go over here. Put the gun down. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely like they are forced to interact and be cordial with each other. Mm -hmm. And even in Bill's letter, he goes, I don't like you, but I do respect you. Which I think is as close to them being best friends as both of those guys could be. Yeah. He trusts him enough to give him the code to his gate. Oh, yeah. Once they're gone, Tess and Joel can have all the stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Bill and Frank's last day together. Let's talk about that real quick. Do we? Do we have to? Yes. (laughs) I think it adds to Bill's journey as a character for him to also take his own life along with Frank's. 
because he literally puts it so beautifully i'm satisfied <laughs> it's very as morbid as it is really beautiful like it is like my life isn't anything without you he served his purpose he served his purpose his his life is now complete and he's satisfied it's just it's beautiful it really is beautiful as morbid as mm -hmm. it is it is beautiful it keeps that energy of the show where it is morbid and violent mm -hmm. but it's still so like tender mm -hmm. and intimate it's beautiful in its own little twisted way this is this was the episode where i started running around to everybody i know being like you have to watch it you have to watch the show there's gays in, in it you gotta watch it there's gays the gays are here the gays are here <laughs> Okay, so before we have our little conversations about the rest of the show, mm -hmm. what do you think works about this show? By episode three, we still aren't in the Joel and Ellie relationship. They're still like... Developing. Yeah, because like my favorite part of the show is their relationship and how it grows. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen that yet, but we see how... we. We're setting up for it. Exactly. By the end of episode three, you see where this is going. From Bill's letter. Mm -hmm. Save who you can save. It says it right there. Like what Joel's function is. Yes. His purpose. His purpose. Just like Bill's. Yes. Mm -hmm. Y'all, it lays it out for y'all. <laughs> it really does. Like it, It's right there. It tells you everything that's going to happen in the show, basically. Like, yeah. Two men who are have already, they thought that they were at a point in their life where they had figured out what they were doing and that they were content with how their life was. And then some little gay comes in <laughs> and shakes everything up. I've never heard it explained that way, but it's so perfect and true. That's oh what happens. My God. That's what happens. A little gay person just goes by and just steals a little her gay heart. waddles over and says, "You look sad. You look sad. I'm gonna make you happy." And they do. Oh my God! It's y'all. The... <laughs> okay, well, let's get through. What was there? Um, anything else specifically that you felt worked, or do you think we've covered that? We covered it. Okay. Unless you have anything to add, I had like a few things okay. that I just statements of feelings about it. Um, some of them I already said, but the only other thing I had is like the casting is perfect, mm. even outside of the comparison to the game. Because mm -hmm. like I said, we haven't played the game before, so we don't know exactly how well or how bad it's doing, other than what people are saying. But their performances in this show transcend it being an adaptation of something. Definitely, and just knowing that these actors made it their own too. Yeah. That's all I have on what works. From this point forward, I'm issuing a spoiler warning for the rest of the show. So if you don't want to hear it, get out of here. Get out of here. Leave. Get out of here. Okay, so I'll just quickly, briefly say what happens in each episode following these. Mm -hmm. So episode four, we get to the Kansas City QZ and they get attacked by the people who took over the QZ. And Ellie has to shoot somebody who is trying to kill Joel. And we learn that that's not the first time she's killed somebody. Episode five, we meet and get to know Henry and Sam. And we get to know what their whole story is, their whole backstory. And why the QZ or the people are trying to find them. Yes. So Henry killed, uh, What's what was her name? The, the lady Melanie Linsky plays. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't either. Uh, but her Henry killed her brother. And mm. so she has this vendetta against Henry and wants to make it even and kill Sam. He, he ratted out her brother. Yes. Yeah. He's irresponsible. And we get this first little nugget of like, what would you do for someone you love? 
How far mm-hmm. were you willing to go? It's kind of a glimpse into this dark side of love that the show pushes. Again, mirroring what's going to happen. Mirroring mm-hmm. Joel and Ellie. It's like the line where Henry says, you may not be her father, but you're somebody's father. Mm-hmm. And then episode six, we meet Tommy and Maria. You skipped over a big Did part I? of that last <laughs> episode. Well, they died. They died. Yeah, it's sad. It's and it's very up. sad. It's Ellie fun. tries to tries to heal sam because he gets bitten it doesn't work and sam my stupid for thinking that was gonna work <laughs> <laughs> well it's in her brain so i don't think it's you know, I, was like, I had that thought too i was like why did they spoiler but why did they have to harvest her organs i was like why, where were they trying to take her brain why yeah. couldn't they just like, get a skin graft or something i don't know <laughs> yeah like, can't they just take like a like a little test like a blood sample yeah a little blood sample that's all uh, yeah yeah but so ellie tries to heal sam and since he's uh the god this this part fucking killed me he's sitting away from her just in case she moves or wakes up before him so he doesn't attack her when she wakes up so he's sitting where he can't see her because he's deaf so he won't hear her but he could see her and so Mm -hmm. that's why he was facing away from her all night oh that's so fucked up yeah Henry sees that Sam was infected and has to shoot Sam and he feels like he failed him and it kind of mirrors Joel's reaction to Sarah getting killed and that's why he's like give me the gun Henry like just give me the give me the gun Henry because he knows what Henry's about to do because he he almost he tried to do it himself I agree it's so heavy that that episode yeah but episode six we meet Tommy and Maria and we see their commune Ellie learns a little bit more about who Sarah was and the fact that Sarah existed and had died Mm -hmm. and we see Joel break because he is so worried about failing again Mm -hmm. and they get the shower um (laughs) (laughs) they're probably stinky yeah no kidding can you imagine hot water in the apocalypse that's gotta be hard to come by once that goes I'm out (laughs) exactly hot water in winter yeah so Ellie and Joel set out to Colorado mm-hmm. and Joel gets injured. Okay, my first grievance with the show, Joel would know better than to pull out somebody that stabbed him. I know, I thought that too. I think everyone thought that. Someone explained it as he was panicking because he didn't want Ellie to have to see it. Yeah, I guess, okay. Yeah. That's somewhat of an explanation. Yeah, because he's panicking. As as much as he knows, he is panicking and he wants to protect Ellie from having to see. <laughs> maybe as he's pulling it out, maybe it's not that bad. Oh, <laughs> we have a freebie. Let's not t- let's not push it. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So uh, Ellie takes Joel to a house that they find, and she tries to to save him. And yeah. we get this flashback episode of her and her her best friend Riley, and what happened between the two of them. And they have this day at the mall where Riley had been staying because she joined the Fireflies and left the Fedra school that they were both at. And they're having a great time listening to Take On Me by AHA. (laughs) And they both get bit. And Riley says that she just wants them to lose their minds together. And Riley begins to turn, but Ellie doesn't. So Ellie has to shoot Riley. That's not seen though. We don't see that, but it's told by the end. It's told by the end. That was another one of the episodes where I was like, they didn't even show what ended up happening to them. Like, we don't even, God, what, what They're happened? They're going to. And then later, I have to keep watching the show. For you them just to have to say keep watching. It's where I'm just fucking impatient. They're not going to leave you hanging, okay? I don't trust them. I can't trust them. <laughs> <laughs> but 
we also learned that's where Ellie got her pun book. It was a present from Riley. Mm. This makes it so much sadder. It does. And the, <laughs> the, the the clicker was in the American Girl doll store. Yes, and I think that's in the video game too. That's in the in the DLC. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because that whole that whole episode is technically DLC. That kind of makes sense because it feels like <laughs> it's a, a side little, plot. It's a know? side plot, definitely. It is important for Ellie's backstory or immediate backstory of like you know like first episode like why is ellie locked in a house with the fireflies like how'd they get her yeah, yeah how they get how how that happened probably again another reason why in the first episode i was so overwhelmed with her information i was like what what yeah. is this what's going on <laughs> and again have to be patient <laughs> yes just a little just, just a, little. a little i'll be more patient in season two but <laughs> yes i think that episode is kind of a mirror of bill and frank oh yeah definitely mm-hmm. um i would like craig and uh neil to go to jail for their <laughs> uh, atrocities against the gay community <laughs> that they've committed <laughs> as a bisexual i'm offended <laughs> Oh my god. And then in episode seven, we meet David and James. And Ellie is going out hunting to find food for her and Joel and kills a deer. And James and David pop up and try to convince her to give them the deer. And she says, I'll give it to you if you give me penicillin. And Mm -hmm. so James gets her some penicillin for Joel. This isn't a gory TV show, but that scene where you're seeing his wound and her just stabbing a needle. Like, I don't know where to put this. I'm just going to put this here. I had to cover my eyes during that. I do not do needles. you out. I don't yeah. do needles. I don't do. I don't do uh, half-ass <laughs> medical shit. Yeah. I can't. She's do not that. a doctor. She's not a doctor. That's a fourteen-year-old with practice. a needle. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. Get me out of here. <laughs> I could not. I couldn't do that scene. I had to. I had to cover my eyes. Yeah, that's fair. Um, not the most gruesome thing that happens in the show, but fair for I, sure. I definitely did. Um, oh yeah, not the most gruesome, but uh, uh, literally stabbing somebody in the leg. And be like, where is she? Oh, I could watch that all day long. That was no problem. Yeah. That was fine. But needles, that's where you draw the line. Mm, can't do it. So Ellie gets kidnapped by David and them. And so he, David puts Ellie in this cage and Ellie breaks his hand because he's a fucking creep. So this whole episode, once Joel is up, they, they kind of set it up to where you think that Joel is going to come in and save Ellie. I thought that the whole time I was watching it, I was like, come on, Joel, hurry, please. Yeah, and so they, they did that purposefully, but they mm-hmm. they didn't, they, they wanted it to be that Ellie has to save herself. And I love that more. I'm really glad yeah. Joel didn't come in and save. She did it herself. And in the game, I believe she saves herself as well, but Joel comes into the room and stops her from continuing to, to smash David's head in. Oh. By the next episode, she is completely checked out and it is... Honestly, it was heartbreaking to watch this, like, I'm gonna fucking cry. Like, just seeing how not there she was after that. Yeah. And him trying his fucking best to make her feel better. Mm-hmm. But a giraffe did it. I mean, honestly, if you were walking around and you saw a giraffe. That would help me too. Yeah. I was gonna brighten your day a little. <laughs> yeah, I will. Episode seven, we have, they had the parallels between David and the fire of him being like the devil. Mm-hmm. And his world is like hell. I think it highlights a, an important thing with apocalypse things is there's always those people who definitely in David's case had really bad morals and intentions in life and used the apocalypse as more of an excuse to release those intentions. An opportunity. And uh, yeah, he's more terrifying than a lot of things in the show. Far more scarier than any clicker in the show. Even the bloater. Yeah. The bloater, okay, I can I would wrap my head around that. Mm-hmm. David? 
no. Yeah. Bella Ramsey's performance in that scene was like, I think Julian Salamita put it the best way. It was like, whether or not you've experienced something like that, you could feel every emotion through the screen of what Ellie was feeling. Like you could you could feel the catharsis. You could feel the anger. You could feel the rage, the absolute rage of her character just exploding. And she's fighting for her life. She, I mean, she's literally fighting for her life. And yeah. You know, it would have been lovely if Joel was the one to save her, but I think it was so important that she she did that herself. I'm so glad she did that herself. And then in the the finale. I loved it. I did too. And um, they bookended the beginning and the end with lies from both of her parents. Her mother lies about her being infected and Joel lies about what actually happened at the hospital. Oh, yeah. Okay. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. And they were both lies to protect her. Yeah. I thought you were going to say like the title, the first episode title is called When It's Dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Forgot the quote. And then the last ending is like the rest of the quote. No, but I didn't, I didn't think about it that way either. Mm-hmm. How, yeah, because that's her birth scene and her mother definitely lied. She definitely got bit before the medical cord was cut. Yeah. Again, for her benefit. The whole topic of Joel. Yeah. What Joel did. And also lying about it. That's the one thing. Mm-hmm. I wish they, I wish he came out and said like, no, I killed everyone. <laughs> yeah. Because just so they could deal with it. Because I know in the second season, it's going to be a big issue. And I don't like a mm-hmm. rift between... I don't want to rift between these two characters. Your faves are fighting. I don't like it. And I get why she's angry, but I get why Joel did what he did. I don't blame Joel. Yeah. I don't blame Joel at all. The reason he lied is because he knows that she wouldn't have wanted him to do that. Oh, no. He know he knew she'd be pissed at him. Yeah. But something that I, I saw brought up a few, a few times was Marlene having that be the plan and trying to act like she cared about Ellie and that she actually had good intentions. And Noah and I were talking about it because he was like, I don't understand why that was the solution. Like, how did they know that's even going to work if they did that? And I was like, uh, I was asking him, I was like, do you think Joel should have done that? Do you think it was okay? And he was like, yeah, of course it was okay that Joel did that. And it makes sense. Like, it may not be like, okay, okay. But like, it would have been very different if Ellie had known from the beginning that she was going to her death. Yeah. If she knew that that's what, that's what they were going to do. It'd be very different. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they sent her off and didn't tell her at any point that that was her fate i understand maybe she wouldn't have wanted to go but knowing ellie i feel like she still would have wanted to do it and that's what a lot of people argue is like whether she knew specifically or not a lot of people are arguing like she probably would have done it anyways because this was her this was her purpose if that meant dying for a cure and for the world Mm -hmm. i think she would have done it and he joel took that way but i think any parent would do that yeah and that's why i say that i think it would have been a whole different situation if she knew that's what she was getting into i think he would have been a little more willing to let her go like she didn't know that they were prepping her for a surgery like she had no idea that that's what was going to go on that's true because he lies and says oh they just want to do a few tests she didn't even know that it was stupid of marlene to tell him that's that's what they were doing i don't know why she thought that was a good idea Yeah. I think what I was trying to say earlier about Marlene's character about being cold, I think it really mm-hmm. is highlighted in this in this last episode. Yeah. One, not just because of what she's about to do to Ellie and sacrifice her, but yeah. also the her birth scene and how mm-hmm. she just finds her friend, her friend that she's known for life on the ground. She's been, she just gave birth and she just walks in and not, I'm not saying she didn't care and it wasn't hard for her, but like her character is very like, same as Joel though. Joel would do this. Yeah exact same thing yeah think of think of her in like comparison to beginning of the show joel 
they're not too different. No, they're not. And I think that was probably a turning point for her character into cold, more coldness mm-hmm. because they were childhood best friends, her and Anna. She didn't want to kill her. She didn't no. want to be the one to do it. Ellie's all she has left of her friend. Marlene never got to bond with Ellie like Joel did. She doesn't really know her. No, she doesn't really know her at all. And she keeps it that way. She has to because she knows what she's going to yeah. have to do to Ellie. Yeah. The difference between Joel and Marlene when it comes to Ellie, Marlene did not whatsoever. Whether whether she knew the beginning or not to do that, like, you know. That's a good way to put it, though, is that Marlene never got to know Ellie. She never bonded. Even when she was born, like, she saw, she was, like, the first person to see her besides her mom as an infant and mm-hmm. just completely shut her out. And, again, for other reasons. Yeah, and I'm sure, like... Ellie, I think you could say at like a deeper level, Ellie is like a reminder of what she had to do. That's true. A promise she had to keep. Yeah. Would you kill me if I was bitten? Uh, I don't want to answer that. We'd both be dead. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. Here's the thing. We'd already be dead. I can't imagine us in one an apocalypse situation where we're both willing, willingly try to stay alive. Yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I don't see this. I don't... That's not a pl- that's not a real life situation for us. I don't see this for us. Pregnant during the apocalypse? No. We'll do a follow up to this episode whenever season two comes out, and we'll go ahead and wrap it up here for our discussion. I think that after the first three episodes, I would keep watching this show. Definitely, and I did, and I did, yeah, because we were, we started this at the same time together. Yeah, but if you end up watching The Last of Us, or you were a fan of the games, and we missed any differences from the show, or you have any thoughts differing from ours or adding to ours, please message us on instagram at easy bake takes we'd love to hear from you we also have a tiktok at easy bake takes we also have a website which is easy bake where we post our transcripts and our review overviews we also post those review overviews on letterbox where you can also find us at easy bake takes and don't forget to follow us wherever you listen and share us and leave us a review and thank you so much for listening my name is kat and i'm riley this has been easy bake takes three-step rec episode easy watching out there Bye. Bye.